Have you ever wondered what to do if you have so many different ideas and are multi-passionate and not sure what to choose as a niche, how to get started? You have too many ideas and you don't know where to go. Well, you are in for a treat today. I have a very special guest for you. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Niche Podcast, where we talk about everything related to your niche. It's all about your niche, your mindset, and having a business you love. I'm your host, mental health expert, Veronique Valencourt. Hello, my friends. I have a very, very special guest. I am thrilled that she is here. Her name is Paula Engebertson. She is a ADHD coach, but we were going to get into more details. I am so excited. Welcome, Paula. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Yes. You and I were chatting before we were recording this, and I think it's going to be a really interesting podcast because you work with people with ADHD. I want to hear all about your niche journey and how you got started. And you're somebody that is multi-passionate to say the least in terms of your background. So let's start with that a little bit. So I started out in the world of academia. I went through grad school and became a professor. I got my PhD in musicology. So I studied all different types of history of musics, especially pop music, film music, protest music, rock and roll, that kind of thing. And then from there, I found coaching and was actually kind of searching for different time management strategies and tools to stay focused in all of this. Because while I was going through grad school, I was undiagnosed. I didn't know I had ADHD yet. And then from there, I found the Life Coach School podcast and the time management concepts and started using those. And while I was kind of working through that coaching stuff and doing scholars and all of that, I also was doing some trainings in the university when I was working as a professor in helping students in accommodations and completely resonated with all of the students and the symptoms of ADHD. And I thought, oh, interesting. <laughs> Well then. <laughs> and so I went and got tested and diagnosed. And so I had a late or later diagnosis at 31 and, you know, kind of fell into it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was the decision? Like, how did you come about deciding you wanted to be a life coach that specialized in helping people with ADHD get things done? What's that journey like? I'll, I have to back up a little bit. So when I was in grad school, my sort of creative release, I guess, was blogging. And I blogged about time management and all the things. <laughs> Apparently, this was really fun and creative for me. It was kind of my, my hyper-focus. But again, I didn't know I had ADHD yet. So I was just kind of blogging for busy people who couldn't stay focused and that kind of thing. So when I first started coaching or you know, going through the certification process, I didn't know that I was diagnosed at that time, but I was still just kind of offering general productivity and time management coaching. And I was just basically sharing all the tools and stuff. And similarly on my podcast, just kind of sharing all the ADHD tools that work for me, but just kind of under the umbrella of productivity. It didn't really occur to me to do ADHD specifically. And then I had a bunch of clients who kept coming to me 
with ADHD because what I was sharing was kind of resonating with them. And I was like, well, I might as well just start speaking to this specifically since it's clearly what I'm doing and kind of went from there. So that's how that transition unfolded. Well, yeah. And I was telling you before we started recording, I was like, I think maybe we could hire you to help coach my entire family, including myself, because as I was looking over what you do, I was like, oh, yeah, I come from a long line of AD, undiagnosed ADHDers. I'm a therapist myself. I suspect I probably have ADHD. And then I'm, you know, a mom with two boys and a husband that are all clearly diagnosed or not diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm the most functional one, which does not say a lot. <laughs> it involves a lot of reminders on my calendar that ping me to remind me of where people need to be. And so it's such a fabulous niche because you're taking areas that you're passionate about and that you struggled with, and you're putting them together in a way that really is very, very specific. And it doesn't mean that people who don't struggle with ADHD or those kinds of symptoms wouldn't come and see you anyway, because it's still very relevant. So did it just sort of come to you one day like, oh, I'm going to do ADHD coaching for ADHDers? Did it just sort of pop in your head? You were sort of saying that you had had a bunch of clients who had come to see you. At what point during, was it during your training or was it while you started working with clients that it really kind of cemented that you're like, this is what I'm going to do? Like at what point? Do you remember? It was after certification. I think I was probably in like the second part of certification when you're going through the different tracks. Did you do applied or did you do entrepreneurship? I did the entrepreneur track. So during that time, you know, I did have some clients coming to me who very much identified with the tendencies and everything and, and had ADHD. And I should also mention, I had my podcast. I started that kind of did everything backwards. I started a podcast when I was just starting certification, just because I wanted to talk about stuff with time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when you realize there's not a right or a wrong way to go about doing this. There's lots of ways. There's lots of ways. Exactly. So it was kind of right around after certification in the middle of the entree time, I had enough people coming and I was like, this is really important. This is a really important message that ended, I think, an underserved, overlooked, you know, population of people, especially women. You know, I think that women, we tend to get overlooked, first of all, you know, it's why there's so many of us who have the later diagnosis, because sometimes when we think of ADHD, we think of like the hyperactive little boy who can't sit still in school and gets in trouble and, you know, falls out of their chair all the time. And that's not always the way a little girl presents themselves or whatever. And, you know, we tend to be kind of the daydreamers or something like that. And this is, you know, stereotyped, but generally that's how girls tend to present more often. And they're not the students who get noticed in class. They're the students the teachers love to have because they're not driving them crazy <laughs> running around the classroom. Exactly. Right? So they get overlooked. And so for me, it just, it was such an important group of people to serve specifically and start speaking to them. Because for the longest time, I kind of thought it was, you know, just me, especially before I was diagnosed. I was like, well, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't focus. And it takes me 10 times as long to, you know, like I said, I was in academia, read an article, I'd have to read it over and over and over to even kind of remember because my short-term memory sucks. Like it's just, you know, it's hard for me to remember that kind of stuff. We are so trained to try and fit into this 
neurotypical world, right? We're trying so hard and working so much harder just to fit in. You know, we hold ourselves to these impossible standards of what, you know, one should be able to do. And then it's like, well, you actually have a different type of brain. It's wired differently. You're missing dopamine and norepinephrine in there. So let's find some scaffolding. Let's help you a little bit. So it really became clear that there was this population that needed additional support. And rather than speaking to the busy person and just hoping that the ADHDers find me, I wanted to kind of call it out and say, hey, I'm here. I'm the same way. Let's connect. Let me help you. Well, and the other thing that's fascinating is I bet you there's a lot of your clients that come to you. They're like, maybe I'm ADHD, but I don't really know. Because like you said, ADHD and and again, huge generalization, but ADHD in little girls and women looks very different than it does in a lot of, like when someone says ADHD, you typically think attention deprivation, hyperactive disorder, there's a hyperactivity in there. You don't think of someone whose head is in the clouds. That's also typically not the person that causes problems for the teacher. They're usually more quiet or staring out the window. And if you're somebody who's really can compensate and do well academically, then there's no one flagging you. They're just like, yeah, she's a little spacey, but you know, she gets her work done and she gets good grades and it's not somebody who's causing a problem for the teacher. And then you have these standards. This is a little bit of an aside, but like I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how the 40-hour work week was designed for someone who had a wife at home doing all the other things. And, you know, I was like, whoa, wait, I'm working 40 to 60 hours a week and I'm trying to get everything done at home. Wait, hold on a second. So if your brain has issues with executive functioning, which is a term they use for how you get things done. Like, I mean, we can talk about executive functioning too, like, and different people have different areas that are difficult for them. Then you're doing this comparison of yourself to other people and trying to get, even for somebody who doesn't get distracted, it's a lot to have all on one plate. It absolutely is. And you brought up a great point too about, you know, how even with, um, you know, we have the hyperactive type, where it might be presented as being very restless or you can't sit still and that kind of thing. But it can also be a very hyperactive mind, right? Your mind is racing so many thoughts, so much stuff going on in there. That's definitely how it is for me, right? Like I definitely fidget and I kind of am like squirmy a little bit, but it's mostly just really racing thoughts, like constant chatter in there. Also, we have kind of this social conditioning where, you know, boys will be boys. They're just kind of you know, run around, but girls need to be quiet and they need to sit and they need to be nice. And they, right. And so we have this conditioning around it as well, that we stay very quiet. And then to your point, I think that with women, especially, we tend to like add more and more onto the plate, right? So first you have to get through college and and you go through all of that and you finally leave the house and you have to figure out all of that on your own. And then maybe you begin your first job and you get married, and you have kids, and then you have to run the household, or maybe you go on to get another degree or grad school or something, and you keep adding to the responsibilities. And finally, the executive functions like, hey, what? Can you <laughs> help me out here? <laughs> what is happening? As opposed to, like you said, with the 40-hour work week, when it was kind of divided roles, and one person managed the work part, and one person managed the home part. Now we're trying to manage all of it, 
all at once with impossible standards. With impossible standards and expectations. And then you throw in something like social media where you see these superstars doing all the things and you're like, you know, how come that person can raise four people, run a billion dollar business and have a house that looks like it belongs in architecture digest all on their own because you don't see any of the people that are helping them, the nannies and the babysitters and the housekeepers and the personal assistants. And so then you're just like, what is wrong with me? It's so interesting because that's definitely been my experience. Like you keep adding things and you go, why can't I sustain all of this? Like, it's just not possible. What's wrong with me? I think at one point, like I have my own one-on-one coach I've worked with and I said, I think my brain is broken because it goes so fast. There's so many ideas flowing. I can't keep up, which was actually what makes me a great niche coach because I have this idea for you where it's really easy to come up with, you know, (laughs) here's a mug. Here's 50 things you can do with a mug. Not that any of them are useful. And people are always like, you have great ideas. Where did you come up with all this stuff? And you're like, it's great, but it's also turn it off. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's your strength in overdrive, right? You have this strength where you can have a ton of ideas, but then it goes into overdrive and it's like, I can't even, I can't keep track of them all. I can't, like, it makes me bounce around. I can't stay focused on one of them. Yeah. So clearly I need to start listening to your podcast, may talk to you after the. (laughs) Yeah. I want to especially mention that kind of thought of what's wrong with me, because that is such a common thought for an ADHD or because it's all the things that we, you know, quote unquote, should be able to do, right? Like, why can't I just write a to-do list and follow it? I should just be able to organize my grocery list. I should just be able to get my kid to school on time. I should, right? It's like all these things that is just naturally expected that one should be able to do And is really kind of questioning that. Is that true that you should be able to because your brain is actually wired in a way that it's much more challenging when you don't have those executive functions to support you? So, you know, we really use the general societal expectations against us with those questions like, well, what's wrong with me? I should be able to just do this. Everyone else can. So that's probably the wonderful part where you get to bring in sort of like the model, like life coaching through the model. And then you talked about something called Scaffolding. Tell me what scaffolding is. Basically, it's just this concept of kind of building in support. You know, I kind of think of it like bookends, right? Something that you can lean on or actual scaffolding. You go to New York, you see scaffolding all over the buildings to hold them up and everything, right? It's that additional support that you might need to help you thrive in the way that you need to. And that might involve like I have cleaners who come. That's some of my scaffolding so that I can keep the house in order while running my business and doing the things, right? Like that's scaffolding that I need to help support. Or maybe it's on a smaller scale, making sure that I have my timer set. I always have, I'm time blind. I'm For those of you listening, I'm showing (laughs) a timer, like an actual analog timer that I always set in 45 minute increments so I can see the passage of time. I know it's happening, right? Like different levels of support because I know that I personally struggle with time blindness. I don't know how much time has passed. And I know that if I get hyper-focused in something, 
it's very hard for me to transition into something else, to just kind of switch out and start something new. So how can I provide some scaffolding? How can I create some transition time to make that shift easier? So it's thinking about all of these different ways to support your brain so you can do the things you want to do. I love the idea of that too. How do you determine when you're working with your clients, like what executive functioning issues they may have? Like you discussed being kind of timeline. I kind of laugh because I always pretty chronically run about five minutes late. So how do you determine what executive functioning issues they might have if you're working with them? Because the information you sent me was that you work one-on-one, you work in small groups. How do you work with your clients? Let's talk about that. Like, how do you determine all that stuff? Yeah. So even on the consult, I like to do a check-in and talk about these different executive functions. You can classify them in different ways, but there's kind of focus and attention. So your ability to stay focused on a conversation, focused on what you're reading, that sort of thing. There is the time management aspect. So passage of time, planning, how can you take a project and break it down and plan it out, map it out. There is organization. So your physical clutter, that kind of piles of papers, like you mentioned when you were talking about your dad. My dad was a professor and I told Paula I need to show her a picture because it was piles of papers, like his office was infamous. Anyway, so physical organization. Physical organization. Um, There is cognitive flexibility. And this is kind of just a strange term for your mental flexibility, your flexibility in the way you think. And again, this is kind of back to the transition thing. How easy is it for you to transition from one thing to the next? So if somebody comes in and interrupts you, is it easy for you to get back on track? If somebody changes plans, is it easy for you to go with the flow? Now, if I change plans, it's not a problem. I am just fine when I change my own plans, but if someone else changes them, my brain has a really hard time with it. And also back to kind of thoughts, how flexible are you with being able to shift your thoughts? Are you very much stuck in black and white thinking or it's either or, yes or no, it's this option or this option, or are you able to kind of see that gray in between of yes and? And then there's emotional regulation. So this is kind of the extreme emotions or being quite sensitive. We have something that many of us struggle with called RSD, which is rejection sensitive dysphoria. For all of you coaches out there, if you have ADHD and you're worried about putting your work out there, getting rejected, having people see your stuff, I want to validate that. But also there are ways you can care for yourself and support yourself through that because we feel that rejection more deeply. And then impulsivity is the last thing. (laughs) Whether you're doing the thing, saying the thing, eating the thing, buying the thing (laughs) on impulse without thinking of future you. So those are kind of all the different types of executive functions. And then I work on those. I check in with my clients, see where they're at on all of them. And then that's kind of where we zoom in as we set goals and work toward them, strengthening those functions. So needed. This is a funny question. What percentage of, do you think, life coaches may have some problems with this? Yeah. You know, I don't have a specific number, but I think that more generally, I think entrepreneurs, you're going to find a much higher percentage. I don't have science to back this up, but I do think that a lot more entrepreneurs deal with the ADHD component because we struggle with kind of the structure of the corporate nine to five, what have you. We just have, I think, 
more traditionally, to your point, lots of ideas and we're, you know, we're idea machines and we kind of thrive in the flexibility, but also we thrive in structure. Like we need to find the structure that works for us, that allows for flexibility within it. And I think that's when you can find that in your entrepreneurial space, it can be really successful. So I don't know about life coaches specifically, but I think generally as entrepreneurs, I think that number is a bit higher. And also that speaks to the issue with planning, right? If you have executive functioning issues in the area of planning, then you're not somebody who's planning out your life when you're in fifth grade. Here's what I'm going to do first. And da, 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 da. like that planning piece can be harder too. Oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. What advice would you have for coaches who are starting out trying to decide on a niche, especially if they have lots of ideas and areas? Because with your background, you could have gone in so many different directions. What advice would you have for yourself when you were starting out? Or what advice would you have for other coaches starting out? I have kind of two different pieces of advice that may seem contradictory, but I think that depending on who is list, like for different listeners, for the listener who might be thinking like they have to know their exact niche right away and they have to know it perfectly, I would say to kind of stay open and curious because like when I was going through, I don't know, I just really like time management. It's my jam. I'm just going to talk about it a lot and share what works for me. And it helped me like that openness without the pressure to find exactly my person. It allowed me to find exactly my person. <laughs> so you know, allowing that time to unfold without an agenda for yourself, which I know is so much harder to do than say, I get it, but I think that that can be helpful. And then the other, if you are an idea machine, if you have so many amazing things, first of all, capture them. I have a, literally, I have a, something called a brilliant ideas list. It's just a Google doc titled brilliant ideas. And I just capture them all, right? Because at least that way I have them for if and when there's an opportunity to pursue the next thing. It's not lost in the ether. But then I would just lean into the one that feels really aligned. Lean into it, see where it goes, and challenge yourself to stick with it for X amount of time and follow it. You know, follow the one that really aligns with you. It's funny that you say about making the list because I remember when I was trying to choose my niche, I sat down and I actually have a book where I sat down and I wrote down, I had so many ideas. I just sat down and wrote all of them out. And it was not an easy process in a, in a way, because you're like, oh, I want to do all of them. <laughs> but I sat with them and I looked at them and I tried them on. And it's almost like, you know, give yourself a chance to go shoe shopping and try the shoes on and imagine what it would be like and give yourself some time to really figure out what feels like I love these terms, what feels like either shackles on or shackles off, which is a term Martha Beck uses in a book called Finding Your North Star. She's one of the first life coaches. She, I think she is the first life coach. She actually trained Brooke Castillo. And she talks about, you know, does something feel really good? Like, does it feel like shackles off? That's the term she uses. Or does it feel like shackles on and really tune in to what feels like fun. Because why else would you want to be doing this? Like if it's drudgery, you know, you're going to be spending a lot of time as a coach researching and looking into your field and writing copy and emails and marketing and all the things. And you really need to love what you're putting out there in the universe because people can tell 
Like people can tell if you love it or if you don't, and it attracts your clients. It's a much easier way to attract your clients if you're enthusiastic and excited about what you're trying to coach on. I mean, if it's a, if it's a should, well, I should just do this one because it's probably blah, blah, blah. That's never going to feel good. You want the one that you can literally talk about for hours and hours and hours. I mean, I could talk about ADHD and executive functioning every day forever. I love it. And so you just want to find that thing that you just never want to stop talking about. You have to love it so much that you would do it in a way you do it for free because it's fun and you enjoy doing it. I did see that you've got, you have all the things. You have like a podcast, which is a great way to find out what Paula is all about is check out her podcast. I'm busy being awesome.com podcast backslash podcast. We'll have all of this information in the show notes. From what I can tell, and tell me if this is accurate, you have IG, you've got a website, you got Facebook, but typically the way to work with you is twofold. You do one-on-one coaching and then you do small group coaching. Tell us a little bit about those two things. Yeah. So I do, you know, one-on-one, you know, working one-on-one specifically on whatever those things are that you really want to hone in on. And then similarly, I have a small group program. It actually, this round begins tomorrow and it's called We're Busy Being Awesome. And it's a small group of about 10 to 15 and it's four months long. And we, you know, set some goals at the beginning. And then I take everybody through kind of my three-step process to get things done with a distractible brain, which is all about plan, act, complete, right? You make a plan you act on it and you complete it, right? And then within each of those three categories, we have all of the tools to build your personal scaffolding so that you can create that plan for your goal, take action on it, stop procrastinating, initiate those tasks, and then follow through to completion. So we work on that. You know, if it's one-on-one, we do it one-on-one, or in this small group, we go through that process together. So there's lots of really wonderful ways to find out about you. Podcast being one, if you want to sign up to work with Paula one-on-one or in group setting, those are available. Yeah. Head over to imbusybeingawesome.com. It's all there. (laughs) Imbusybeingawesome.com. Awesome. You are awesome. This is such a treat to get to talk with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're absolutely welcome. It's been a real treat and a real eye-opener. I would like to tell folks that if you are interested in finding out about figuring out your niche, I have a course that is called Dial Your Niche in Five Hours. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to check that out, if you're struggling with your niche, that is always available. Paula, I really appreciate your time today. What a fun conversation. I could keep going, but I'm going to be mindful of time. Everybody, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.